1: Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Tunnel Vision, a show brought to you by uscfootball.com. I'm your host, Keely Orr, joined by Ryan Abraham and Shotgun Sprattling. We have a fun show for you guys today. Dare I say, the last Tunnel Vision of the
2: offseason.
1: It's the last Tunnel Vision before we start fall camp, covering that on Friday so we got a preview fall and What we're expecting for the Trojans in 2021. Let's talk about some breaking news. Brew McCoy uh, is temporarily removed from team activities following a July arrest. We'll get into that. We'll talk about the Pac-12 and the Big 12. Uh, There's some reports about their commingling, if you will. They're they're having some talks. Whether or not that will result in anything, we'll see. But uh, Pac-12 is still in the news with realignment, so that should be interesting. Uh, As always, you can call us, 5124-TUNNEL. Our intern, Micah, is standing by. We love hearing from you guys. You can also tweet at us, hashtag TunnelVision, and I'll put your tweet up on the screen. And wherever you're watching, YouTube, Facebook, or Twitter, Periscope, whatever that is at this point, uh, we love hearing from you guys, to put your comments, your questions questions or your concerns, and we'll be sure to answer them as best as we can. But guys, like I said, it's the last television before fall camp.
2: Yeah, Friday. So it's fun. Uh, we get the email from Sports Information. gives you a list of all the practices. We got a little bit more access this this uh, fall camp, so we'll be able to shoot a little bit more. You get some more video highlights of some of the drills and stuff, so stay tuned for that. We should have some fun doing all that, but putting all the practices in, Who's who we're going to be able to talk to, uh, yeah, it's an exciting time because, you know, we talked about it after, after Pac-12 Media Day, things start to speed up. When fall camp starts and when you get actual practices, things really begin to heat up. And we're going to, we'll, we'll change our show schedule, we'll probably do a couple times a week, especially when the season starts. But it's uh it's real football again. One month until USC kicks off against San Jose State. Crazy. Keely is muting me yet again. Always I, trying
3: to keep me from being able to speak. She's yeah. always trying to, yep. to muzzle me as much as possible. Of course. Um, no, another, a month till USC plays which is kind of crazy to me. I wrote the date today, and I wrote 8, and I was like, August? This seems weird. How is it already August right now? But, you know, we're, we're you know getting into the, the thick of it. You know, it starts on Friday with fall camp. You have your... You know what? What uh, Todd Orlando calls not real practices. Sure. Um, but then by Monday, we'll be in. They'll be in pads, and you know we'll be out there to see some thumping and seeing if they can carry over what they started in the spring as far as building that culture and you know the, the the steps that they were trying to make. If they can do that, this team could be very successful this season. The the schedule is lined up for them to be very successful. It is. But it's going to start with the toughness, and you know that's going to be on the defense side. That's going to be important, but. Also, the offensive line. The offensive line will will determine, you know, the the potential of this team this season once again. And uh, you know, it starts with, with being tough. Yep. Mm -hmm. I agree.
1: Ryan, one of the things we talked about on the Family Feud podcast was the intensity we saw spearheaded by USC's defensive staff in spring camp. We've always said that fall camp, it's kind of where the rubber meets the road as far as physicality and and preparing for a season, making sure the guys are healthy. What do you think we're going to see this time around?
2: Yeah, you want to see that continue like Shotgun just mentioned. You guys talked about on the podcast and sometimes you would see like things start to ramp up and then like, oh, well, game prep comes in and. Things get, you know, everyone, they take their foot off the gas. And I don't feel USC can afford to do that. The, you know, the line play on both sides of the ball, you know, there's going to be questions about who's going to play where. Chris had a good story about which incoming, you know, which are uh, the young uh, offensive linemen are going to be contributing. Is it Cortland Ford at left tackle? John Monheim is he going to play right? Like there's, there's questions on the offensive line for sure. But that defensive line, you know, losing guys like Brandon Peely and Jay Toya transferring out. Not sure if Ismail Softer is going to be able to play. There's some questions on the interior part of the defensive line too. So I feel like toughness starts on the lines and how well are they going to you know, build those out and how well are they, those guys are going to play? Are they going to let them hit? Are they going to let them go after each other? And then you know, one of the things, Keely, you asked Clay Helton about is the short yardage uh, offense. Uh, and that was definitely mm-hmm. something that was deficient. And I think that shows your toughness too. And that's going to be a lot on the offensive line. Clay uh, Clayton did say that him and Graham had, had worked on that a little bit and they, he's not going to share what they're going to do. But, you know, that's one of those things where I think if you just want to look at the toughness of it, we're going to look at both lines. We're going to look at how they run the football on obvious run situations. And we want to see that intensity in practice because we saw it when pads were on in the spring. They did some different drills. Does that continue on in the fall or does it go like pretty much into game prep mode and everyone just kind of? going through the motions as opposed to actually hitting each other.
3: And and another big thing that we saw in the spring was some variety of of practice, you know, mixing up the practices, doing some different things, throwing in a, you know, a a drill, a goal line type of drill, where it's one-on-one or two-on-two in the middle of a practice, when a practice is low, you know, when there's low in practice. Um, Are we going to see that? Or is it going to be the way things have been for the past half decade, which is basically once you get into practice – in fall camp you establish the practice routine for you know that you're going to prep for the game and you want to have that you know that routine down so four weeks that you're going to practice it going into game week um are we going to see that uh so that can be something that's a positive in the in the fact that you get used to you know exactly what you're going to do and all that but it can also be a negative because you got 18 22 two-year-olds and you got to mix things up you got to constantly you know be um you know, pushing them in different ways and challenging them in different ways. I think uh, to to really get the best out of them. So that's something that they did in the spring. We're gonna see if they do it in the fall. And I I thought in the spring it was really physical early, and then you saw a bunch of guys banged up. And the last couple weeks it was you know let's experiment, let's move guys around. Yeah, much more less competitive in that in that nature. Are we gonna see that in fall camp? Yeah. That's gonna be a big question too because that's been something that has hampered USC year over year over year. Is you know, halfway through fall camp, you got 25 guys that aren't practicing. And how much better are you going to be able to get as a team if a quarter of your team's not available to practice? And again, that may come back to are you hurt versus are you injured? Or, you know, what are they doing, you know, with the strength and conditioning, with the nutrition to be able to keep them healthy going to be able to go through the fall camp and then through the, the rigors of a season? You know, you don't want to push guys too much in a fall camp because right. you want to be healthy going into that first game. But you, fall camp is a is a great opportunity to get better. Yeah. Um. You you know, we saw some guys in spring camp that really took some big steps. You know, from the beginning of of spring camp to the end of spring camp, and we've seen that in the past with other guys. Can we see that in the fall camp? If you're not on the field, it's hard to get better.
2: Yeah. Got to compete. There's got to be great competition out there, and you can't compete if you're on rehab island. So less people on rehab island, more people competing for spots, and you're gonna do okay.
1: Prior to the p- pandemic, one of the main things we heard from USC's new defensive staff was how important it is to instill culture. And like you mentioned, guys, spring camp, I think they finally got a chance to start to impose the culture that they want out of the team. But how much will... A- one, the full offseason that they had and fall camp being able to have time to install culture, but also just their schemes. I mean, even Sean Snyder, the special teams coordinator, said he had to go a little bit simple with what he was telling Parker Lewis and, and guys like that. How much will more time help some of the quote unquote new guys on the staff?
2: And I think I take you know what Todd Orlando said. I'll take his word for it. I mean, I, he, he you know I thought he was he articulated himself very well. Everything he said made sense. And he was able to do what he wanted to do in the spring. That should set him up for those summer workouts, where they were getting to, you know, do the conditioning stuff with all of his linemen and, you know, all the defensive players. And heading into fall camp, and I think they should all know a lot of the scheme of what he wants, expects there, but also just how hard he wants them to work. So having a full off season, uh, I think that's going to pay dividends when we see this team in the fall. I think it's going to be a better defensive unit than we've seen in the past. So I yeah, like when we heard from him in the spring, I thought he made a ton of sense. You know, sometimes you hear coaches talk and it's coach speak. I never felt that way with Todd Orlando. So I I'm I'm curious to watch how they progress. But I think he's going to be on the schedule he wanted to be on as opposed to last year when he couldn't.
3: Yeah. It's hard to instill a culture if you're not on the practice field. It's hard to instill, (laughs) you know, the camaraderie that you're trying to build with that culture. If you're in groups, you know, and you're not with other position groups, uh, I can't remember, you know, who who told Keeley, but one of the players that we've talked to during PRP said, "Hey." I just got to meet some of the other players from the position
1: groups. (laughs) It was Kobe Pepe who was like, I only really knew five to 10 people on the team in 2020 because the (laughs) pods and the restrictions that they had, he was like, I just met Jackson Dart today. He's a cool dude. It's like, okay, (laughs) wow. So yeah, and, and same with, I actually talked with Cortland Ford last week and he was saying, I know the team completely better now. It's just crazy how much the incoming COVID freshmen really didn't have the football experience. They didn't have a full season. And and Cortland Ford described the incoming freshmen as like the forgotten freshmen because the fans weren't there to see them play or no. have their debut. And now they're kind of like new, but they're sophomores heading into the season. It's a weird dynamic.
3: Yeah, and you can build a great culture in a position room. And you see that across the country, certain positions at certain schools are really good and they have yeah. a legacy, you know, when they can keep a, a coach there. But is that going to carry over the whole team if you're not around the entire team? You know, if one group is slacking off, if you're in a full team environment, then somebody can get on them. An older guy comes in from a, you know from the other side of the ball or from a different position, and say, hey, that's not how we do it, blah, 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 go, you go forward. But if you're in small groups, you can't really do that. So that's one of the things that, that they weren't able to do last year. And also, there were a, a ton of guys that needed those reps, particularly on the offensive line. You know, Tim Trevno was in a tough spot because they were moving four guys on the offensive line. They had four players at new positions, you know, to start last season, and they didn't have time to work on it. They had one walkthrough practice in the spring, and that's it. And then you get to fall camp and you're trying to rush to get ready for games. So, you know, it wasn't a great spot to, to be put in for that offensive line. Do we see them take a big jump? That's a big question mark because there are guys on the in that group you talked about Cortland Ford and Jonah Monheim and we we expect some positive things from them there's some older guys that need to prove themselves yeah so I, I think they have an opportunity the Liam Jimmins the Jalen McKenzie at new positions last year can they take a jump forward um you know that's that's going to be potentially a big key for the offense line. If those older guys, you hope those younger guys push them, but you want those older guys to take a jump forward as well. So we'll see where some of those guys are. I think that the, having the full offseason, full strength and conditioning program and everything that way, I, I think that that's going to you know, be very beneficial for USC. Obviously, it's something that happened all around the, the country, but for USC, when you are installing a whole new defense and you have a new strength coach coming in th- this January, I think that having the full offseason will be really big for them.
1: Shaka, what did you take away from your PRP conversations with players about Robert Steiner and the work he's done so far?
3: Uh, When you ask about Robert Steiner... The players, like their eyes, not necessarily light up, but you see there's intrigue there, you know, yeah. because they want to talk about him. They, they think it's, you know, the, the the different things that they're doing. Uh, you know, in your conversation with Drake London, him talking about how they would build stuff, you know, they come out there and, and the strength uh, coaches are, you know, have, have a new wooden apparatus for them to work out with. <laughs> they said they just built this apparatus for the, for them to have this workout. Uh, I talked to Isaiah, pull him out. He's talking about, I said, you know, what's the most unique thing done? And he said, Man, we've been doing some some different things. And he said, probably carrying your teammates, literally carrying your teammates. And that's something that you can build as a psychological thing, as you know, as a mental preparation as well. You know, the the potential of, hey, you need to be able to carry your teammate. But he said they literally are picking up their teammates and carrying them in their arms or carrying them on their backs as part of their workout, you know, while they're, you know, doing some, you know, back and forth runs or whatever it may be. I I said, "Is anyone? uh, Is is, are you guys glad that Brandon Peely's? You know, he's not able to come out right now (laughs) and participate (laughs) uh, because he's injured. You know, you don't want him to be a guy that you have to carry around, anyways. He's like, no, I mean, I've been carrying Greg Johnson and and Chase Williams, so he's (laughs) He's that's easier. (laughs)
1: Good to yeah carry them.
3: Yeah, but I I just think that you see, kind of the players are they definitely their attention has been caught by the strength and conditioning staff." in that they're doing things that are different. And a lot of players have talked about that. They're doing things that are functional strength uh, skills, you know, so quarterbacks are working on things that are going to help their arm and the the care in their arm. They're not all doing the same exact drills over and over. And a lot of the stuff is functional lifts for football as well.
1: Mm -hmm. I'm actually going to get into the news uh, that broke uh, on Monday uh, we got a question from Bryce who said, "Do you think we're done seeing Brim McCoy and Cardinal in Cardinal and Gold?" So if you hadn't heard the news, uh, he is removed from team activities temporarily uh, due to arrest that happened in July. Uh, the arrest was because uh, he was charged with uh, felony intimate partner violence with injury, um, and so with USC they obviously suspended him from team activities. Uh, I did get a statement from USC that said uh, they are aware of the situation and USC's office for equity, equal opportunity. Title IX is reviewing it, Uh, and they didn't want to go into more details because of federal student privacy laws. But we know the history with USC and these type of cases, how uh, they like to review things and keep players away from the field until everything has been uh, sorted in that sense. And I put in the story uh, that sources suggested that uh, it's a serious matter, and we likely won't see Brew McCoy on the field at least in 2021. So that's something at least to watch out for there, because I know uh, some fans were expecting him maybe back on the field soon or whatever. But given the precedent that USC has set with these type of cases, I just don't think we'll be able to see him at least for this season.
2: Yeah. And Keely, great job, uh, you know, breaking the story. This Thanks. was, uh, you know, it's never easy doing a story no. like this because it's, you know, there's, there's victims, there's, there, you know, there's young lives uh, that could be changed forever and will be changed forever. And uh, Brew McCoy, uh, former five-star player, you remember, you know, coming to USC, going to Texas, coming back had a mysterious illness, there's been a, you know, he's someone that USC fans wanted to see on the field quite a bit, and there was all kinds of drama, just, I mean, not saying it's his fault, but there was just always something going on, and now this, and, uh, you know, I agree with Keeley, uh, and, you know, the, the question on there, I don't know, I mean, the way we've seen, uh, you know, allegations like this come in the past, you usually don't see that player again uh, in Cardinal Gold, so, I mean, if if you put me on the spot and had me bet if I were ever going to see Brew McCoy play in a Trojan uniform again, I would say probably not. You know, I, I think it's more likely he doesn't than, than he would. But certainly don't expect to see him back this season at all. There's going to be legal proceedings that go through and we'll kind of get updates as, as that goes along. But um, yeah, it's just it's certainly an unfortunate situation. He was likely going to be the number two wide receiver on a you know a group that you've lost a couple of big names from last year. There's a lot of talent there, but not a lot of proven talent. He's someone that actually has produced them on the field, and I think USC fans were really excited to see him take that next step. Whenever it's a five-star player in the system, you always want to see them because you follow their recruitment so hard, and you're, the fans are super excited when they actually sign. Now He signed and left and came back. There was a lot of you know, excitement and <laughs> disappointment with Bruce McCoy, and obviously this is uh, – This would be in the disappointment category.
3: Yeah, yeah, we got an opportunity to see him last year, and you know, in a reserve role, and he took over some of those snaps from Tyler Vaughn's, and you know, was pushing into that group and and getting some playing time, and had a couple big touchdowns for USC last year. So we expected a big jump for him this year, taking over potentially a starting role and being one of the guys that USC was counting on. So this is going to, you know, the wide receiver group—it's wide open. We were talking how you know the third wide receiver was going to be an open slot and who's going to fill that in now you know you got Drake London and you got a bunch of question marks you know there's a lot of talent you've got some talent transferring in you've got some talent returning but you know unproven in 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 U- in a USC jersey so uh, and to answer the question it's, you know, when's the last time you saw anyone even arrested for anything at, at USC? It just, in recent memory, I can't think of one off the top of my head that's returned to the team. Yeah. You know, pretty much in, you know, in a situation like this, a much more serious offense than, hey, you got in a, uh, a brawl at a bar or something, um, then, you know, we haven't seen any of those players return to USC. So, you know, we hope, and hope for the best for everyone involved. Hope everything gets resolved in, in a timely manner, but if you're betting on it, you don't think that Bruce McCoy is going to be back. Yeah. I mean, the charge from the precedent and the, you know, the the seriousness of the charges.
2: They're definitely serious uh, charges. And, you you know, we don't know, obviously all the details and stuff going on, but it's something we'll have to uh, pay attention to, but it's, it's going to be, it's a little bit of a curveball for USC, you know, Kerry Colbert in the wide receiver room. He was definitely someone that the Trojan, you know, the the team was expecting to uh, have a lot of production. So, uh, something we're going to follow and, uh, you know, it's, Again, you know, good job, uh, Keely, on this one, and we'll keep you guys updated on, on how this uh, plays out. But mm-hmm. don't, yeah, there's, I, and I'm, I'm glad you put that in the story, Keely, because it just, I think it's important. There's going to be fans who are like, well, he could come back the second week of fall camp. Like, I don't expect, don't expect that
3: unless everything is dropped and you know, kind of gets forgotten about, which that has not happened around USC. I mean, yeah. his court date is, I believe, November. So, November twenty fourth. Yes. You know, if it if it goes to the court date you're basically the season's the regular is almost over yeah. there's like a week left in the regular season so you know USC is not going to put him back out there before things are resolved you know that just hasn't been again back to the precedent that has been set in the last decade uh, the last five years or so with any type of um, legal issues you know so th- there's no expectation from me that he'll be back on back playing for USC this season um, you know hopefully everything does get resolved but you know don't expect it. Yeah. And,
2: and Keely reported it's, uh, he's out on $50,000 bail. So he is not in jail right now, but he, you know, he was, that he's, he, they posted bail. So, um, uh, he's out and awaiting trial. And yeah. So I don't, don't think we'll see anything resolved until well after that.
1: Yeah. That bail amount is standard for that type of charge. So it wasn't like they thought he was an extra risk, if that makes sense. Uh, but no official charges have been made by a DA yet. So charges could the res- initial, original arrest charge could be dropped. But even still, um, it's my understanding that even if the charges were dropped, USC would still go through its process of, of reviewing that case. And so that in itself would still keep brew off the field because USC has to clear him as well. So just some info there. Um, But I mean, it's a hard transition, but I know we talked about how USC was expecting brew to be that number two receiver. Who do you expect now to step up in that role? I know Kyle Ford is a guy who's coming back from that ACL injury. I believe one of you talked to him and he said he's cleared to go, but what are you expecting just from the wide receiver room now?
2: I'm a big Cal four guy. So I you mean, are. this is uh, this is his chance. I mean, there's a lot of opportunities here. I mean, we, we've seen some of the young guys. Is it a Gary Bryant Jr. that, that emerges? Is it Michael Jackson? Is it, you know, man, Jack, is it Taj Washington? I mean, there's a lot of guys. I think there's a lot of opportunities and outside of Drake, you know, you got Drake London outside of that. Like, it's all wide open. I think There's, almost anyone can come in and contribute. Brew was going to be that number two guy. Like, he was, like, you know, penciled in there. And uh, now it's it's wide open.
3: I think that it's a land of opportunity, but it's going to be who stays healthy. Yeah. I mean, Gary Bryant Jr., you would look at him and go, that should be the next guy up. He hasn't stayed healthy yet at, at USC. Kyle Ford, can he stay healthy coming back from multiple ACL injuries? Is he back to the form that he had two years ago uh, when we saw him in high school? Uh, Taj Washington is a guy that you know I, I got big expectations for. Is a freshman All American at Memphis, but he's a smaller guy. Can he stay healthy? Jake Smith, another guy from Texas who has produced okay. uh, at Texas. You know, smaller guy though. So you you're worried about. Those guys take a bad hit or something. Can they stay healthy? You know, th- that's a big question for me. And what are they trying to get out of that interior position, the third wide receiver? Because I think that will determine what you do with the second position. You know, if you're looking for a smaller, short guy, uh, you know, a quick guy in the slot, then I think that changes what you're looking for on the outside. Uh, do they see it as reversible? You know, we can line up anybody where we want and do that. You know, we we'll look for m- mismatches. They haven't done that in the past. So, you know, I, I wouldn't think that would be the first choice, but that's that's another option. Sure. You know, there's a lot of options that they have, but, you know, until we see them out there and see what those transfers, Taj Washington, Jake Smith, Malcolm Epps, you know, are you seeing him as a big wide receiver or is he playing with his hand on the ground? Yeah. You know, a lot of things that we're still not certain about, where Jake Smith and Taj Washington and Gary Bryant lining up, inside, outside? Um, you know, Drake London feels like the only certainty but he's not even a certainty because you don't know where he's going to be yeah. we try to ask him at media day hey are you going to be inside outside and he you know was very non-committal yes. about yeah. it <laughs> uh, we'll so we thought hey you know he moved out there in the spring that seems like a a set change no not exactly that you know
2: and this you know brew not being available that could change that yeah, too if exactly they like, you know if they like the way that pairing was we might see more tight end you know like Pretty deep group of tight ends. We might see more of them with without – I mean, who knows? So I think this could have ramifications throughout the entire offense, not just that wide receiver spot.
1: Mm-hmm. I put it up earlier, but Dallas had a question. He thinks that Keonta Ingram is going to be RB1. Who do you expect? I, I think we all agree that uh, Keonta Ingram and Viva are are going to be 1 and 2 in some configuration, but we don't know which configuration that will be. Yeah. yeah,
2: I'm guessing it's <laughs> going to be Vavai, but uh, I, I think Ingram's going to be right there. It's going to be. The, I think those two guys are going to be the ones you see a lot.
3: I mean, who makes the decision? Is it Clay Hilton making the final decision? Is it Mike Jinks? Mike Jinks, you know, he didn't recruit Vavai Malapai Yeah, Vavai's from Hawaii. Ingram's a Texas guy. Jinks is a Texas guy. You know, a lot of the offensive coaches are Texas guys. Does that play into it? You know, their familiarity with him being at Texas. Um, you know, how does that play in? Or is it Clay Helton? You know, Vi's been here. He's been our guy. He's been our Mr. Consistency. That's who we're going with. Those, you know, how that plays into it. And then, again, we think those are going to be the two guys, or one and two. Yeah. How much, what is that breakdown? Are we talking 50-50? Are we talking 60-40, 80-20? Uh, you know, what is this breakdown? You know, Mike Jinks said this spring that he wanted, RB, you know, a, a established number one and number two. And those are who he's going to ride with rather than trying to mix three or four guys in, which I think is a great idea. If you can find some unique ways to use three and four, then do it. But it, that wasn't hasn't been, again, not something they've really done in the past. So when you just stick Keenan K- Kristen in for one play, the first play of the fourth quarter of the UCLA game is very – you yeah. know what everyone's keyed on. Like, that guy hasn't played at all today. Pay he's, attention to him. Right, exactly. He's getting the ball. Um, then that, that did not usually work. So – if you're gonna go one and two, how much are those guys in? Are you is it really a true number one? And just when he's tired and needs a sub, then we'll get somebody in? Or are we getting full rotation? You know, it there could be different ways. And again, that's that's the thing about fall camp. I think there's a lot of questions with personnel and lining up and how you know, we'll see some of those things that we're going to be watching as well. And
2: we should, real quick, we should yeah. be able to film them going through some of those white uh, running back drills, and you'll be able to see some of the stuff that we were seeing there so early on. Exciting. So Those will be fun, yes. Yeah, so you mm-hmm. can kind of like, oh, I haven't seen Ingram run. He looks good. You know, stuff like that.
1: And speaking of lining up and what we see in camp, I think one of the biggest questions, which is interesting because we usually don't even fully talk about this position group, tight ends. I think the addition of Malcolm Epps and uh, Trigg, Michael Trigg, could be different for USC tight ends, but... How do they want to use them? Are they gonna make it an emphasis to use them? I we'll see, I guess.
2: They're big, they look good. I mean, we saw Josh Fowler walk by the other day. They look good to me. You still got I mean, there's good athletes there. Yeah. Like, it's kind of a waste if they're not being used somehow.
1: Yeah.
3: Again, <laughs> what do you what do you want from that position? Yeah. Is do you want to Drake London? You know, those are Malcolm Epps or, you know, you put Jude Wolf out there, those guys can catch the ball. Do you want a guy that's going to play the H-back too? That's the, you know, I, I don't know what they want from the position. You know, they've used him as the H-back. Uh, they've used Drake London as that guy because they didn't feel like they had the tight end that could do both. Is one of these new guys coming in or has somebody developed that extra skill, you know, with an actual full-off season? Has someone taken a step forward? You know, that could be the case. And if they can get somebody that can do both. Block in the backfield and be used as a H-back, be used on the end of the line, stay in as extra pass protector, do those things, and then go out and be a mismatch outside. Then that's ideally what you want. But do they have that on the roster? Big questions there. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Overall, on offense, do we all agree that the way the offensive line goes is how USC's at least offense you could say season goes? How critical is the offensive line?
2: I, I mean, I thought uh, yeah, it's critical. Uh, Keen, Keen Slovis sling the ball around the field, you know, running around and uh, be able to have an effective passing offense. I mean, he did that last year in a lot of spots. Yeah, I think that could happen. But if you really want the offense to be successful, the run game has to be effective. The short run game, you need it to be. And, and you got to keep keeping up that this is not a, a five-game regular season anymore. This is going to be a full 12 games. Um, if he's running for his life in all of them, the likelihood of him being knocked out goes up exponentially. So I think you have to, the offensive line is going to have to play well. They could have it play poorly and go eight and four, nine and three just by him throwing the football around. But if you really want to have success and beat some of the better teams on the schedule, I think you need the offensive line to perform well.
3: They can go 10 and two without running the ball.
2: Yeah, probably.
3: The if they can still protect Keaton. and he's back to where he was, you know, and we see the confidence. If he's getting beat up, he's going to lose that confidence real quick. Um, So I think it's all on them for the offense, but I still think they can be successful even if they can't run the ball, but can you at least pass protect? You know, the problem is they haven't done either one of them really well in this air-raid offense. You know, they've they've let the quarterbacks get beat up, and they've been the pass protection has been good for eighty-five to ninety percent of the plays, but that can't be the case, you know, when your quarterbacks are getting taking big shots, not just taking hits where they're holding on the ball for, you know, six, seven seconds and they're scrambling around, but you're letting a guy one move and he's getting into Lucky Fo two hits Keaton Slovis and knocks him out of the Utah game. You know, that that can't be the case. You can't have your quarterback, I think it was, what, five times that the starting quarterback went out of a game in 2019. You can't have that happen. And obviously the injury at the end of the season affected Slovis in 2020. So, you you know, they need to be able to protect him. And if he feels confident with the guys in front of him, I think that's only going to boost his confidence and you're going to see his confidence continue to grow. And, you know, when he starts getting on the same page with some of these offensive weapons that he now has, I think that, you know, that the offense can take off And we see that year two jump that they talked a lot about going into the 2020 season that we never really saw last year.
1: Mm -hmm. Now, before we jump into the defense and and what we're expecting to see in fall camp and in 2021, I'm actually going to go to a caller. It's a buddy, Dave from Iowa. I believe he has a question about the offense, hence why we're going right now. Hello, Dave. You're on live with Tunnel Vision. Hey, Tunnel Vision. Good to talk. Um, I just wanted to talk
0: about recruiting. I don't know if you guys noticed, but Notre Dame picked up a uh, stud wide receiver out of the state of Washington. So, my, and, you know, I, I also noticed that they have a lot of predictions for uh, uh, the wide receiver from Notre Dame. I apologize. I don't, I don't remember his name right now. But uh, my question is, do you think winning, like, USC winning and winning the Pac-12 championship would be enough for us to flip those, uh, the, uh, those um, weapons? Love to hear your thoughts.
1: Thanks, Dave.
0: Yeah, and he's
3: talking about Tobias Merriweather, who committed to Notre Dame today over you know offers from a lot of the West Coast schools. You know, in his final five, I think he had Washington, Oregon, USC as well. Um, USC was never really in the mix there at the end on that one. Um, with CJ Williams, the wide receiver from modern day, who's a beast. Very yeah. similar to a Kyle Ford, to a Michael Pittman, to, you know, Brew McCoy, that, you know, big physical wide receiver that we've seen come out of the Trinity League, out of the Southern section. Uh, I think that USC, if they're winning and they actually put in the effort with some of these local kids, because they put in so much effort on the national kids and the Texas kids. But I feel like some of the local kids, from what I've heard, they feel like they've you know, they're just not getting as much love from USC as there are from some other schools. And that's kind of you know unnerving if you're a USC fan, you're looking at it as you know, usually there's a five star receiver or two or three in In Southern California in every class. USC gets them, yeah. And usually USC, if there's two, USC gets at least one of those. Yeah. Right now you got CJ Williams, who's high four star, you know, is in that mix, you know, Notre Dame is the leader there. You got um Tetora McMillan at Servite. His two teammates, including former USC commit, Keon uh, Burnett, are already committed to Arizona. And Noah Fafita, the quarterback, is already committed there. So he's,
2: you know, Arizona looks like the leader there. Fish is doing well at at Servite. Yeah. He's, yeah. yeah.
3: And, and so those are guys that USC in a normal cycle – Five years ago, you would say, oh, those guys are definitely going to USC. They get the pick of the litter that they want, especially at the wide receiver position where USC has had so many studs in the last decade. But right now, that's not the case. Now, if you win and put in that effort, and I think that's something where I think early on in the cycle, recruiting cycle, they went out, and I think they'll come back in, especially when in the fall when the you know California players are able to play – a season they got the spring season and some some teams was like three games so I think when they cut you know the fact that other states like Texas were able to play a full season last year the better evaluation I think that's something USC is going to cycle back to the local kids when they get to see them and evaluate them better in the fall so that might be the case but will it be too late then yeah
1: well thanks Dave for the call we appreciate it now jumping into the defense I think the Two biggest questions, or the main theme, is replacing key guys. At first, we thought it was going to be Marlon Tuipolatu, which is still replacing him, but then it became uh, uh, Jay Toya. How is USC going to replace him? That was a guy who definitely stepped up in USC spring camp. We thought he might be able to fill in that hole a little bit, but he transfers to UCLA. And then also Talano Hufunga, How do you fill in that that spot? He was a guy who Todd Orlando could plug and play in a lot of places when he needed him to. How do you fill those important roles that are now gone?
2: It's tough in the interior defensive line because it's not just, you know, um, Jay Toya going and, you know, Marlon Tuipilotu, Uh, You know, he's gone. You he also, um, Jay Tufele was around and, you know, he opted out last year. Brandon Peely uh, is out with an injury. I mean, there's – and you thought his mouth sure, would be coming in and he's listed as some kind of like might be limited in – 2021, uh, he had that compartmental syndrome surgery thing. What was, that? Compartment? What was Compartment it? Compartment.
1: Compartment syndrome in both of his legs.
2: Yeah, so had to have surgery for that. Uh, he's someone else that you, you transfer in this former blue chip recruit. Like, oh, he can, he can play. And there's, there's now there's just more questions than answers for sure. I mean, you talk to Kobe Pepe, like maybe someone like that's going to come in and play well. But there's going to be some young bodies in there and, and guys that we maybe we weren't expecting. It's just not going to be as deep. I think you're better in the secondary, not. Better overall. I mean, we Tal- Fu- funko was just a playmaker back there, but they have Dante Williams, Craig Navar. They've recruited that position well. They got some transfers. There's, I think, there's plenty of um, studs that they they have to choose from. If you look at that roster, I mean, it's all four and five star guys. So I think they'll be okay there. It's hard to replace a guy like Talanova because he did make a whole bunch of plays. But they have enough uh, good bodies there. I would be more concerned on the defensive uh, interior.
3: Yeah, I, I think the decent tackle position is the the biggest question mark going in. I thought USC did a really good job of going in the transfer portal and looking for uh, for guys to fill in those those voids. You know, you lose Talanohu Funga, you get Xavion Alfred, you also add Chris Thompson Jr. later, the the transfer from Auburn. So you got a pair of safeties that have some experience in college coming in to join, you know, what should be a great position battle. You know, you're gonna have Isaiah pull him out of there somewhere. But then where are the other two spots, you know, with the nickel safety and and the other uh, safety spot? You know, is it Greg Johnson, Max Williams being out? You know, is it Chase Williams? Does he take a step forward and take over a starting role? Is it one of those young guys? Uh, Is it one of those transfers? There's a lot of options there. Uh, you lose Elijah Griffin, and people kind of forget about that. He was pretty much a shutdown corner for yeah. USC last year, but I think Izzy Taylor Stewart's ready to take that step forward and you know be that be a dude finally um, for USC. You know if he continues way he did in the spring, I think that he's going to have a terrific season. And Chris Steele on the other side, I think the corners should be perfectly fine. But the big question. In the middle of the defensive line, how are you going to address that? Is it Ismail Shashur? Is he going to be able to come back by the end of the, you know, by the beginning of the season? Is he going to be ready to go? And you feel like he can plug and play? Is it one of those young guys that have taken a step forward? You know, with with Kobe Pepe and Jamar Sakona, uh, you know, Dejan Benton. There's some other guys in there that that could be in the mix. A lot of inexperience, though. No, not much playing time among any of those guys. It's something like 30 snaps uh, on defense. It's, it's yeah. very little uh, playing time in a game. So we'll see if any of those guys are ready to step up. Or what I'm curious about, and we talked about this in the Family Feud podcast when we wrote down the defense, is do you try to attack it schematically rather than personnel-wise? You know, rather than putting you – know, do you try to put two, t- two defense tackles in there to clog up the middle and give you an- another big body? Or do you try to attack more with your linebackers in the line of scrimmage? Do they play more inside? And there's some different things that Todd Orlando could do. Um, I- I'm curious to see if that's the case. And, you know, you got some freak talents on the edges that can create pressure. And if you can do that, then that helps out the back where you're trying to fill in that hole for Talonohufunga, uh, where you're trying to fill in for Elijah Griffin, but also can help out those interior guys because if you can get some pressure off the edge and get on, in the run game early downs, you get some, you know, second and twelves, you know, you end up the pass rush situations on third down, then that helps out those, those nose tackles as well.
1: What do you guys, what are your expectations for Corey Foreman coming in? I know when you have a high rated guy like him, the composite number one guy, there's a lot of high expectations. But again, he's also a freshman. What do you expect for him in fall camp at least?
2: Just the way USC's marketed him already, I don't think there's any way you could keep him off the field. I think you can't hype them up as much as they have and not use him in some capacity. I think he's going to be... Probably a day one starter. I think you're going to see a lot of them out there. Uh, Probably, you know, some hand on the ground, just getting after the quarterback, trying to disrupt plays. And they're going to, you know, tell you about it. They got the, you know, another five-star defensive lineman, uh, you know, uh, locked up for the next class of 2022. I think you're always thinking about recruiting. And if you got a five-star come in that's not contributing, like that's not going to help you. So they've, you know, that's something they've talked about because they took some slack, you know, some flack for, Some of the poor recruiting classes in the last couple of classes, when you get a guy like him, I think you're going to talk about him. They did. And I think you're going to use him.
1: Shuck, and you seem a little bit hesitant on Ryan's take. Yeah, a little bit
3: hesitant uh, because I don't know what position he's going to play. If he's playing the same position as Drake Jackson, he's not starting day one. Drake Jackson is going to start. You know, are you lining him up in a different spot? Do you see those two guys on the same side of the field? Uh, where does Nick Figueroa fit in where do the other pass rushers that you know have proven themselves a little bit more Nick Figueroa was terrific you know last year as a pass rusher very underrated um, he could jump over him do you see more rotation with those guys I think that might be the answer I don't know if he's a day one starter but I think he's gonna be in the mix uh, in the rotation for sure. how much are they asking for him how quickly do they try to you know push that um, because you don't want to put too much on a freshman early pass rushers the one thing is, you can just say go get the quarterback. You know, we'll yeah. put you in certain situations with elite pass rushers. That's one reason why they get ranked a little bit higher than other players because they can make an immediate impact because you put them in a third and third and long situation, you say go get the quarterback. Go do, you know, go do you, go get to the quarterback and those guys that have elite raw skills like Corey Foreman does, can go do that, and now you start to build on that as the season progresses and you add a little bit more to the plate, a little bit more to the plate. So I think that may be the trajectory a little bit more than day one starter because you know they were recruiting him at the same position as Drake Jackson. Now I, don't, I think that they're going to line him up a little bit different. That's another thing that I'm looking forward to seeing in the fall is where some of those guys line up. Sure. You know. Do we see four-down linemen or five-down linemen? Do we see some different looks uh, with those fronts? Uh, you could. There's a lot of different things they can do because there's a lot of talented pass rushers.
1: Mm-hmm. Now, looking at special teams, it's interesting. At punter and place kicker, we kind of know what to expect, uh, Parker Lewis and Ben Griffiths. But for returners, you lose Tyler Vaughn. you lose Almond Ross St. Brown to the, the NFL, and then Stephen Carr, who's been a mainstay back there, he transfers to Illinois. So... Well, who are you expecting? I know we saw Gary Bryan Jr. We mentioned on the Family Feud podcast that return against UCLA. That was kind of the spark to bringing that team back to win. But what are you expecting? I know in fall camp it's usually a big group of guys, and then as the <laughs> camp goes on, it, it whittles down. <laughs>
2: you got a few defensive guys. you got a bunch of receivers, maybe a couple running backs. But I think it's going to start with Gary Bryan Jr. I think he's going to get the uh, a lot of opportunities. But we're going to see a lot of dudes, and usually that's a thing we could film too so you know so we can watch them uh, and you can you know see some of the guys catching the football and uh, how they're able to return. Yeah, we're probably not going to see them like full on just you know weaving through guys. It's more just about going through some of the motions. But there will be a pretty big group. You could get like Sierra Wright. You know you get some freshmen in there. I, I think you're going to see a lot. But I would I would guess Gary Bryan Jr. If I had to bet right now, he'd be the one that's going to come out on top.
3: Jalen Smith, uh, Prophet Brown. There's some different options that you have there. Will, will we see a guy, one of these transfers to come in? Do we see Jake Smith or Taj Washington, guys yeah. that have speed? What are they looking for out of that, each of those positions, versus kick returner, punt returner? Are they looking for a guy with jukes and then can take off? Or are they looking a guy with straight speed? Uh, Katie think,
2: Nixon could be. Here, yeah, right. Katie
3: Nixon is a guy that could be in that mix. He's returned for Colorado as well. So I think there's a lot of options. I think Gary Bryant's the guy that you would expect to be the, the front runner, at least to begin with. Obviously he had the big kick return in the UCLA game that set up the, the game winning touchdown. So you know he's already shown proven that he can do it, that the other guys have to, to step up and do that. A guy to keep an eye on, and partially because I don't know where he fits otherwise is Keenan Kristen Um so That's much speed. You gotta find a way to use him. He's such it could be such a weapon maybe it's on special teams that they find that because there's, you know, they, they haven't given him those opportunities at running back the last year. So maybe it's on special teams that he really makes a mark.
1: Mm-hmm. Overall, mm-hmm. where do you guys have the biggest questions, special teams, defense or offense?
2: Definitely not special teams. I feel comfortable <laughs> with uh, Sean sure. Snyder. I would always harp on special teams before. And now it's just like, yep, they'll be good. Um, in general, not as good. It's probably going to be on the offensive side of the ball. Um, You know, it wasn't as an efficient and effective offense in 2020 as we were expecting. Uh, We don't know how the offensive line is going to uh, shake out. Um, They do have to get better at the short yardage stuff. You can, like Shotgun said, they can win a lot of games and not have great offensive line play. But if you want to be, if they want to win the Pac-12 and like beat teams like Notre Dame, you have to get that line to play. So I, I would say the biggest concerns on the offense and specifically the line.
3: Yeah, offensive line once again, and I'm curious to see the impact that Clay McGuire has. Full off season, yeah. you know, new offensive line coach. We saw some different things in the spring that felt like they were Clay Maguire inspired, as far as some of the play calling and stuff with short yardage situation. He's the only difference on the offensive staff, and they were doing different things. So that would tell me he had was having an influence there. You know, I, I, Graham Harrell trust him. I, I think it was played with, coached under. Uh, co- uh, like coach beside, and yeah. now and now works for works for, <laughs> yeah. So I think he's gone the whole gamut, Full circle, um, with Graham Harrell from their time at Texas Tech to Washington State to now USC. So I think Graham really trusts him, and his input will will have an impact on seeing some different wrinkles potentially. And again. If you don't run the same play on third and one, fourth and one every single time, you got a better chance of being able to pick it up, even if your offensive line doesn't block great. You know when the the other team doesn't know exactly what you're running, which is what it felt like a lot of times the last season. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: I mean, what does it say about, I mean, the team in general that the question, the biggest question is not the new defensive staff, quote unquote new, but the the offensive staff, which we expected to take a jump in year two. And now in year three, there's even more question marks. I mean, how much of that is the offensive staff or just offensive line recruiting coming to roost in that sense?
2: I mean, there has been some poor choices made by USC leadership from athletic directors to Clay Helton, and they've tried to fix a lot of those. I mean, one of them was having an offensive line coach for two seasons that didn't match the system that you were running. I mean, that's just, you know, and he was your running backs coach before. There was just some weird staff moves that just didn't make much sense. And then you get some bad recruiting classes. You get a lot of bodies, but maybe not a lot of people that can play, at least up until this point. And so you're in year three of Graham Harrell, and this is the first time he has a spread offensive line coach or someone that has run some version of the air raid. So, yeah, I think that's why... It's more about these decisions that were made a couple years ago. Hey, we're going to make Tim Drevno the offensive line coach even though you're running an air raid, and he's never coached in that before. And I think those are like we, – we criticize those kind of decisions right here, but why is that a concern two years later? Because you made that poor choice two years ago. That, that's just my opinion.
3: Yeah, it's a, it's a coach the, – the match works a lot better. Uh, just Tim Drevno, bring him in as a running backs coach, move him offense line. Just no experience in this type of offense versus an offensive line coach that that's basically been his entire career. Yeah, and again, that has a great relationship already with Graham Harrell from their days as players at Texas Tech to coaching Washington State, USC. So I just think that the connection there is so much different that you should see that part of it be a lot more in sync at least. And if that's the case, then I think you take some small steps forward. If you take the small steps, maybe that leads to the big jump that, that everyone was expecting last year. Yeah.
2: Clay McGuire should have been hired two years ago, right? I mean, that's just – that he should have been hired. I I don't know how great or whatever of an offensive line coach he is, but his he fits much better in the system. And someone like him or like him should have been hired – Two years ago. And that's kind of where I why USC is in this position right now. You're you're starting in year three. You've finally got an offensive line coach. Is it gonna take a while to get all that to to work? I don't know. That's we have shotgun mentioned. That's something you want to see with the had this offseason and how's the line gonna look? They might be seeing some freshmen, redshirt freshmen playing. We don't know. But uh it's you know, there's there's gonna be a lot of pressure on that line. And now you finally got an offensive line coach that's run the system, you're expecting better results.
1: I always go back to just the cotton bowl against Ohio State, just that was, for me, the, the point of no return, where you either make a change with the offensive line or you did what USC did. I'm just curious what USC's offensive line would look like now and its recruiting if they did make a change after yeah. that Cotton Bowl. It would 100%. be, it'd be a, a different story there. Uh, before we jump into questions, it's almost the top of the hour. I just want to talk about wow. – uh, I know, crazy, right? Uh, the Pac-12. And realignment. Uh, It came out that uh, George Klyovkov, the new uh, Pac-12 commissioner, met with the Big 12 commissioner, Bob Bowlesby, uh, to talk about, you know, just realignment things. And he gave a quote to uh, Dennis Dodd in his article that came out today that said, I would not be doing my job if I didn't take and understand and evaluate those opportunities to add schools. Ryan, I know you just did a podcast for the Podcast of Champions about, does the Big 12 even add value to the Pac-12? What are your thoughts? Yeah,
2: so I mean, I, it's great. I think George Klayovkov's in a good position. His conference wasn't torpedoed like the Big Twelve, and Bob Bowlsley, poor, you know, they feel bad for that guy, stabbed in the back by Greg Sankey. He can take his time. He can take his time. Field all kinds of calls. Maybe it was just some kind of schedule uh, alliance with the Big Twelve. Who knows? It looks like the playoff thing that we were all talking about is probably going to be delayed because of this Texas Oklahoma stuff. The whole college football landscape is changing. He needs to be able to talk to these other commissioners and, you know, see what's going on. I don't think it that Pac-12 adds any value by bringing in the Big 12 schools. And left foot was like a full-on merger of all of them. I, even that, I'm not sure. I just don't think, you know, making that many more slices of the pie, those pieces of pie just don't get much bigger. So I think he's in a spot where he can stand Pat. I think the way you have to watch out for is the Big 10. You got Kevin Warren, who's the new commissioner there. The biggest, um, you know, the, the worst thing that could happen to the Pac-12, as far as George Kleavkov is concerned, is what happened to the Big 12, where your brand names leave and it leaves you as a gutted conference that would be worth a lot less as far as the media rights go. So if the Big 10 said, oh, we want to bring the California schools in there without USC, without UCLA, Cal and Stanford, that media rights deal in 2024 is not going to be worth anything as close to it. USC is the biggest brand. You got to have you know USC involved in that, so he's got to keep an eye on Kevin Warren and you know just don't not get shanked by him like <laughs> like uh, like you know bullsby got by, by Greg Sankey.
3: I, I think the big thing is you got to take every call because one, when you go to the Big Ten and you talk to them, like, hey, well, th- the Big Twelve offered is this. You got to be able to say that, you know, uh, the scheduling lines. Yeah, we talked to them and they were willing to give us, you know, this amount. Can you match that type of thing? Those, you know, when they get into those type of negotiations eventually, Um, scheduling alliance makes sense, you know, to add some more marquee games and get rid of some of the, you know, the lesser games that are on the schedule every year and kind of create some, you know, kind of false rivalries maybe a little bit. Uh, You know, USC is going to play Oklahoma State in basketball. Well, USC's played. Uh, Oklahoma in basketball for you know there are certain schools that don't like each other. Something happens and create a little bit of animosity. Those type things and it becomes you know it builds up into something that could be you know could be fun, but they don't add much value other than that. But it's besides the alliance, now you look at it and just like Ryan said, like what what would the Big Twelve add to the Pac twelve? You look at the TV markets that are remaining.
2: They're not very good.
3: I mean, what is the best Waco? Uh, I mean, it's not very good when you, you know you're talking about an HGTV show is what you're known for. That I mean, that's what Waco is. Yeah. Hey, so, don't be
1: don't be hating on that show.
3: <laughs> I'm not hating on the show, but that that's all Waco is really known for. Sure, you know, they're a university, and there's a show down there that they, they fix houses. Uh, so other than that, Lawrence, Kansas, and you know the places that you're looking at just aren't the TV markets that are going to bring in the big dollars. So it's great that they're talking, and Klyovkov should go out and talk to everyone. And just like he said, you know that he was going to do. He's on a listening tour. Well, he's listening to commissioners and answering these phone calls and listening to what people have to say as well. Because there's other, there's some smaller schools, the San Diego States and the BYUs that may look at the Pac-12 as well as as potential options. So we'll see where it all goes. But you got you got to listen to everyone and see what they have to say first, and then start dismissing people. I'm like the Big Twelve. <laughs> see you later.
2: Yeah,
1: <laughs> Ryan, I know you've been a long proponent of USC going independent. But how much does the USC brand kind of can flex their muscles right now in these realignment conversations?
2: 100%. I think Dennis Dodd came out in his story today and said, there's four major brands out there that can dictate what's going on. Michigan and Ohio State, and they're not going anywhere. They're in the Big Ten. They get $55 million a year whatever. whatever. The, they're, they're, they're fine. Notre Dame who has got their alliance with the ACC. That's a long TV deal. They're probably not doing anything either. And USC is the other one. And what we've learned from Texas and Oklahoma is, you know, those big brands can run the show. It's The analogy would be it's LeBron James. Like they won a – Lakers won a championship, you know, in uh, 2020, right? Um, It's LeBron James. Uh, It's his show. It's not Frank Vogel's show. If, If LeBron James wants something done and Frank Vogel wants something different, LeBron James wins. He's going to be driving the bus. We've seen coaches come and go. The star players have the power. The star brands in college football have the power. And I did a radio show down in Texas today talking about that. And they asked me specifically, have USCs flexed their muscle over the years? And the ap- the answer is absolutely not. They've had such poor leadership from the athletic director, from Pat Hayden to, to Lynn Swan. They didn't uh, reflect the kind of Draw and power that a brand like USC has. They went along with the Larry Scott parody model. They would take the exact same money as Oregon State. The previous TV deal, USC, UCLA got a little bit more money because they were LA. That changed in the new Pac 12 deal. Um, and that was Pat Hayden allowing that to happen. And I don't think Mike Bowen's going to let that happen. Whatever happens with realignment, the good thing you're a USC fan. You're in a good spot. There is no scenario where someone gets p- pilfered from the Pac-12 that USC wouldn't be involved. There's, you know, UCLA is a big brand in LA. There could be a thing where you know USC goes, but UCLA doesn't. Oregon, they've been the most successful program in the last ten years. Easily could get left behind. Anyone except USC, if you're in the Pac-12, could get left behind if there's some sort of uh, poaching of the conference. So USC would always be involved in that. USC would be get a better deal if they stay in the Pac-12 because that's going to they have the power to do that, and they're the only brand in the Pac-12 that could explore going independent. Say, hey, Netflix, we're going to put seven home games a year, uh, and that's the kind of stuff Netflix wants. Um, they're not looking. They're looking for the huge show. They're not looking for we're going to put up all these Pac-12 water polo games. They want a few huge events a year, and even the football games aren't big enough. They want like fifty million you know, like the the Tiger King and that that's the stuff that they're really looking for. But it's better for Netflix to have like all of USC's home games as opposed to like all the Pac-12. So there's options there for USC um, and they're the ones that can drive this bus. So I, and I think they have a leader in Mike Bone who can actually take the torch and run with it and flex a little bit of that power, that muscle. Texas and Oklahoma showed, what is Baylor? What is a top 10 Iowa State Without those big brands in the conference, it's not worth very much at all. Those are the brands that were worth half of that TV contract. Two two programs. How, how much of the the Pac twelve TV you know uh, budget or whatever is because of USC? I mean, it's a, it's a big portion of it. It's a lot more than Washington State and Oregon State. I tell you, and they're getting the same amount of money in, in a more expensive area. So. I, whatever happens, USC is going to be in a better spot. Um, they, they're going to be able to flex their muscles this time around like they have it in the past.
3: Yeah, even if it's just based on prices, uh, price of living, cost of living. Cost of living is <laughs>
2: way more expensive here in there in Corvallis. The,
3: <laughs> USC should be getting a, at least a little bit more than your Washington State or your Oregon State, which is how that's – created that parody a little bit in, in several sports is that those schools have been able to, to catch up a little bit with adding new facilities and different things while USC hasn't been able to uh, be able to do the same thing. So it, it's going to be fascinating. Um, mm-hmm. There's plenty of options for the Pac-12. There's plenty of options for USC. And from our chat with George Kliakoff and Mike Bone, seems like things are at least right now are amicable. And yeah. I think that they are both headed in the same direction um, now, one one slight move could change any of those things as as negotiations go, but I think that they're aligned right now, and I think that's good for the rest of the Pac-12 that USC's not already being like, piss off, we're going our own way right now.
2: Yeah. I mean, if USC's going to take calls from the Big Ten and they go from making like $28 million a year in their TV deal to – 54 million and it would probably be a bigger deal because the Big Ten gets to renegotiate that in 2023. I mean, you could double your your TV revenue. Mike Bone has to take that call. You know, you have to look at it like, oh, the, you know, the other teams are gonna have to travel more. It's like, well, you got 30 million dollars more a year in your athletic budget. You can you can have a few more flights, you know. You have to at least entertain that. And you know, USC is the one program that's going like that's if anyone's getting poached, USC is top of the list.
3: But that's awful for fans and awful for for the athletes. You know, if you you USC goes to the big Big Ten or something, that's it's going to be terrible. Um, now, if the whole conference, is different. But if USC alone goes, it's not going to be good for student athletes. You're supposed to be caring about the well being of the student athletes. Oh well, uh, you guys are gonna have to miss at least three days of class for any event that you go to. Oh, you got. 35 games in a basketball season uh, well sorry you're just gonna be tutored the entire like what's the use to even go into class yeah. anymore everything I don't think should it would, be on zoom
2: yeah i don't think usc should go by themselves but it would be some sort of group and there's a lot of options for groups it could be the california schools usc and ucla could just be a package deal it could be bigger markets like oregon usc arizona state because you get phoenix and you know ucla or whatever i mean there's there's a lot of options there, of, and if you had a West Coast pod where four teams on the West Coast, I think that would make it a little more palatable.
1: Overall, I think we we thought good things coming out of uh, the off-the-record meeting with George Klyovkov, like Shotgun mentioned. Just out of curiosity, Ryan, what do you think this time would look like if Larry Scott was still the commissioner <laughs> of, oh of the conference? Because, I mean... Now it almost seems like a second chance for the Pac-12 to kind of reinvent itself with the the TV rights deal uh, expiring soon. I mean, is this a second chance now that you have a new guy at the helm?
2: It, yeah, it's definitely a second chance. You needed um, new vision. And I think some of the old thoughts about Larry Scott, you know, things were great 10 years ago when you signed that deal, but it was very short-lived. And it's a very outdated deal uh, I mean, I guess the ACCs is pretty bad too, and it goes for an extremely long time.
1: 2036. You're really? way
2: better doing these shorter deals. The Big Tens get another re-up, a couple re-ups, while the Pac-12 deal is still going on. And I think if you're USC, it's better to have George Kleofkoff in there because they recognize your value. Um, you know, he he's talked about, hey, parity sucks. We don't want parity. We want our best brands. He's like, they're not going to. Put something in the schedule to make Oregon look bad or USC look bad so we can help out you know, Colorado or Oregon State. Like That's not going to happen. They're not going to put their best brands in harm's way. The Big Ten wouldn't do that to Ohio State. The SEC wouldn't do that to Alabama. But the Pac-12 continually did that to their big brands. So that's going to go away. So I think all of that has been helpful. I think Larry Scott would have had to see the running on the wall and and shift focus, but you needed a complete reversal of what his old – policies were and the fact that many many times klyovkov was like parody sucks no parody we don't want parody it's like that was larry, i mean that was the, we asked larry scott that and he said he wanted parody and it's like no that's exactly the wrong answer it's just you're the exact wrong philosophy so that's why he needed to go i don't who knows what happened was going on but thank god we don't have to he, he think would, about that he was just
3: <laughs> taking the leftovers he would have waited till everything, all the dust settled, and taken the leftovers. There would have been no preact- uh, proactive approach to it. It would have been very reactive, and after everything happened, he'd be like, oh, we should probably do something now. It's like four years after Oklahoma and Texas are in the SEC. Yeah. He'd be trying to figure out something to do then.
1: Overall, do you see this as the start of a new evolution of college football? Like, Do you see super conferences happening? What do you see down the road?
2: I mean you got to be careful what you wish for um because yeah I mean the SEC is already going to be a super conference we'll see what it is and you know do you need to combat that with more super conferences I, if they they could go to 10 10 conference games in the SEC just so everyone can start playing each other and then you don't get some of those other out of conference games that are fun uh, for fans so I think you can lose I mean, this isn't all, you know, just making a few extra bucks doesn't always mean it's better for the sport. Um, the more regionalized it becomes, I mean, that's worse. I I think the, the, the West Coast is important. You need to be able to keep the West Coast relevant and that in USC is going to be a big part of that. Um, how that all comes together, though, this is, I, I think the playoff can make things more fun, maybe a little more NCAA tournament-wise. Maybe you get some, some upsets, but we got to be careful because you're going down, I mean, you know, Making an extra couple of bucks, or a lot, you know, a lot of extra money, you might be losing, you know, fans. You might be losing some of what makes college football great. And yeah. if it's only the SEC and that's all that matters, and the West Coast becomes apathetic towards college football, I mean, you're losing a lot of eyeballs. You already don't have the Northeast, you know, the most populous area. Like that, that doesn't exist in college football. Um, you know, you lose the West Coast. You're going to keep the you know Big Ten footprint. You're going to keep. The South, but you know, you could lose two more time zones out here, out west, and uh, that wouldn't be good for the sport.
1: Yeah.
3: No. it just seems like it could be old becomes new again. You know, it was very regionalized up until what the '50s or so, '60s maybe. Um, just with commercial airline, the you know explosion of that, where the USC Notre Dame game—that's why it was so special—is because you had to take a train and go all the way across the country. Mm. Um, you know, that was a week-long trip. Or well, you could see much more regionalized type of things. And then the regionals, when you get to an NCAA basketball tournament or baseball tournament, is truly the first time that, you know, after you play in your regional, then that's the first time you're really seeing teams from uh, the other parts of the country. Um, with the super conferences, if you go to 10-game conference schedule, then that could definitely be it.
1: All right. Well, let's jump into questions. It's already 8.03, which is crazy. Man. I know, right? We got a question from Cam Man, who says, Huge SC fan live in Nashville, Tennessee. We'll be there in October to see Utah game. Any news on the time of kickoff?
2: Yeah, usually we don't get those till like, a week or two before. Ten-day
3: windows. That's yeah. What the, yeah usually
2: but but the case. Some of the big ones are there, but I wanted to put his uh, comment up because he's a big fan in, uh, there you go. in Tennessee, so thanks for uh, thanks for <laughs> watching the show.
1: Uh, we do know that uh, San Jose State is 2 p.m., correct?
2: Uh, I yes. believe yep. 2 p.m. I think
1: yeah, so, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, Snap247 said, will Drake London be a Bolitnikoff finalist?
3: Yes.
2: I think so. Uh, <laughs> How many finalists do they have? 20? Three <laughs> finalists. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah. Um,
3: Michael Pittman was one of three.
2: Yeah. The last USC player to win, the only one I think was uh, Marquis Lee. Yep. Yeah, I think he's got a good chance at that.
3: Who wasn't on the watch list to begin the season, but
2: right, you gotta it say went. it
1: every time, but yes. <laughs> Dallas had a question for Shotgun, who said, uh, How are you feeling about USC's linebacker depth? They will be key to the defense making strides forward over the past couple of years. Well, there's a lot of depth. I'm
3: not right. certain on a lot of it, but you know, there's a lot of depth, a lot of guys coming back from injury. If everyone gets healthy, I think it's a position – uh, of strength for USC because you have two guys that played last year and took over those roles in Raylan Goforth and Kanayamauga, but you also have experience in a guy like Jordan Ysefa. You got some young talent that hasn't really got an opportunity to get on the field, like Elijah Winston, or some older talent, excuse me. Couple, you know, third year for him, Solomon Atuli Alapupu, two guys coming out of high school I thought could be you know early contributors, but have suffered multiple injuries there. So you're talking about the middle guys. I think that there's enough depth there that you're not really concerned if everyone gets healthy. On the outside, you got Drake Jackson and potentially Corey Foreman at that that other outside linebacker position. You got Hunter Echols coming off the other edge. Uh, you know you can do some different things. So I think the linebackers can be a, a position of strength, but outside of Drake Jackson. Not, you know, you got injury concerns and you haven't had consistent production. I um, mean, even Drake Jackson wasn't consistent last year. So, you know, there's some consistency issues with that group,
2: but a lot of depth, a lot of bodies. Similar yeah. to the offensive line, there's a ton of bodies. There's like 19 scholarship offensive line, but how many of them can play? We don't know. Mm-hmm. And
3: some guys with experience, some guys that, you know, we think have a lot of talent. We'll see.
2: Yeah, we shall see. Indeed. We
1: got a question from Dallas who said, how long before the SEC starts shutting some of its schools to cut loose the Deadwood programs?
2: Yeah. So that's where you also can kind of get into trouble. Um, you know, will conferences start doing that? Uh, is like, you know, a Vanderbilt's like winning um, baseball championships, but they're not really helping on the football side. Like Oregon State winning baseball championships. Are they really helping out. On the football side, if you're getting these super conferences, you start cutting these bottom teams. I mean, the problem is, you know, it's different from the NFL. You're creating this sort of like mini NFL, like you have a 16-team SEC. And if you're going to play 10 games, you're almost always playing each other. That's going to leave a lot of losses. There are going to be a lot of teams. Mm -hmm. And it's unlike the NFL, if you're the 0-16 or whatever, 1-15 Jacksonville Jaguars, you don't get Trevor Lawrence the next year. You get... (laughs) Nobody like yeah. so you you there's no built-in way to try to, to bring the bottom teams up, you know Arkansas could just be like zero and twelve year after year in in this new SEC and then what are you going to do the fans aren't going to really like that um you can like SEC we're in the SEC yeah you haven't won a game in two years like so yeah there's there's some issues with this super conference stuff and. If you cut the bottom teams, someone else is going to become the bottom team. You know, like, it's all of a sudden, like, Georgia is like, yeah, we're, we can't even get a winning record anymore. They That's won't do that. Uh, yeah.
1: <laughs> we got a
3: question. Back to Tennessee, always. I mean,
2: t- yeah, like, Tennessee won a Once championship a in 1998.
3: And I mean, barely done anything since. Yeah. It's uh,
2: like they could be a bottom dweller.
3: The interesting thing you you brought up that, you know, it's kind of going towards an NFL model, but you rec- you would need a college football commissioners are something to establish and set up. If there were these four super conferences with 16 teams or something like that, where you would have enough crossover, like you do in the NFL, where you play, you know, a certain division every year, but you also play, you know, the team from the AFC that finished in the same position as you finish in your division, things that equal things out. And because like you said, there quickly becomes a huge separation because if you're constantly losing, you don't, Get Trevor Lawrence, just yeah. like you said. There's no automatic. <laughs> and if there was a college football commissioner, or czar or whatever, relegation would be so much
2: fun. Oh, my God, relegation would that be would great. Be really fun. <laughs> Hate soccer, love relegation.
1: <laughs> I mean, how much could we see – I mean, I already asked this, but with the transfer portal, I mean, we've heard Clay Hilton already say that it's kind of like NFL. Could we even see college football get more NFL-y, if you will?
3: Yeah, I think everything's moving that way because yeah. of money. Yeah.
2: yeah, but there isn't – There is no Roger Goodell running college football. He has what's best for the NFL in mind. Everyone else is doing what's good for their little fiefdoms, you know? Like you're.
3: And it's not even like the NFL where you have revenue sharing, you have, you know, a salary cap and all these things. It's much more like Major League Baseball where it's whoever wants to spend the most money in IL, you know, if you've got the right people that are around your program or, you know, if your program is producing the right athletes that are getting NIL deals, that's only going to build on itself. Uh, so, you know, it could become a very quick, I mean, it already is. There's been what four teams in the college football playoff that have, you know, taken up what 75, 80% of the spots. So, Is it going to be even worse? And I think that's why you're seeing declining ratings. You're seeing less fans at games. And if there's not an overall commissioner to step in and say, hey, this is better for the sport, for the game of college football, then you're going to get, you know, it almost feels like college football could go the way of like a water polo where it just becomes such a regionalized sport and you have certain teams that are always really good and those are the only teams that really have a shot.
0: Yeah.
1: We'll see a dog's life in Portland says, are there any teams in the mountain West remnants of the big 12 or independence that you think the pac 12 might be interested in to form a pac 12 pac 16 or larger? I'm mean, even go for it.
3: I mean, there's some concerns with academics and different things like that. Um, just as far as athletics, straight up athletics, I, I think the schools you would look at are like BYU and, and San Diego state and maybe Boise state, as far as the teams that are in the mountain West uh, and out this way. Is like
2: Fresno State or something? Fresno, I mean, eh. But there's yeah, this doesn't it doesn't help. Like you don't need more pieces of the pie. You don't need to cut it up in more slices. There's unless you're adding someone that's a huge draw, it's not worth adding at this point. The way the I mean, if you can give them
3: basically no money, if you can give them whatever they're getting in the Mountain
2: West, then maybe. Yeah, we had a question on the podcast of champions. They're like the the Pac-12 should take like four of the teams, like Oklahoma State. Uh, Baylor, TCU, and uh, Texas Tech, or something like that, or they said Kansas. Like, but they're only going to give them like as much money they would get if they joined the AAC plus like a million dollars, and then if they could get a full share if they won the conference. So it was sort of like this incentivized thing. I'm like, I just don't think that's going to work. But yeah, you could bring in like. San Diego State, but like, yeah, you only get like a third of a share or something. Like, I mean, this is I'm, the
3: same reason why relegation would never work because nobody's going to agree to that. Yeah. If, you're, if you're a Washington State and there's a chance that you get relegated, you're never going to be like, yeah, I think relegation was great for the sport of college sure. football.
1: <laughs> no. <laughs> we got a question from Coley who says, Any word on rising Pac 12 team Arizona State? Will the season be over before the NCAA decides on possible discipline?
2: <laughs> yeah, wait, so all they've done is uh, suspend with pay their tight ends coach. And they promoted like a staff or support staffer kind of guy. Um, I think that came out today, actually. So I don't know. I mean, this is just – there's a, there's going to be another shoe dropping. We just don't know when. Um, but from – the allegations seem pretty serious. Uh, there's a freaking dossier about all this stuff. I mean, if the NCAA comes down, I mean, this could be a huge blow. But when will it be? This is a team that looks like they're poised to make a, a great run twenty twenty one. So it's probably in their best interest to hold off on as long as they can. Um and that seems like to be the strategy that they're using. So the incident doesn't usually move very fast. Um at this point it's looking like I mean, who knows? It just could happen like the day before the season starts and uh Antonio Pierce gets fired. Like who know I mean, it, it's just it's just something you gotta watch. But they're certainly on you know we asked Herm Edwards about it at Pac Twelve Media Day and he was just like, Everything's fine, no big deal and um but some, I mean, something's going to happen there. We just don't know when.
3: Yeah, it's not like a suspension in uh, in a professional, or you're like, oh, I'm gonna, I'm uh, going to appeal it until we get past this series. It's really important, and then you know we're <laughs> playing the bottom team. Then okay, I'll, I'll take my suspension. You, you don't get to choose when the NSA is going to actually rain down uh, a decision and those decisions can take forever like you've seen the FBI uh, college basketball investigation USC that was what 2017 16 17 and USC just got their you know theirs done and Arizona just had theirs finally announced from the NCAA or no they're still they're still under theirs I think so you know Kansas is still waiting for that so when are those things going to be finished who knows so how long Arizona state's take is anybody's guess the dossier that they were given, I think that expedites it and pushes it up much quicker. But still, it's the NCA and they have like an enforcement staff of like what, like three people or something. Yeah, been- it, it's not like they have uh, one hundred and fifty people that are going out and investigating these things. So it's not something you normally expect to be you know super quick.
1: Day mm-hmm. thirteen, so we're probably going to get into rapid fire pretty soon. Here we got an interesting question from Jasper Smith who says, "Without Bruce McCoy, will Michael Trey be given a look at wide receiver instead of tight end?"
3: I think you should put it on the table. I mean, him and Epps. Where are they going to line up? And if are you calling them a tight end, and yet they're playing outside every time, like you know they're just taking the Drake London position, then you can call them whatever you want to. But you know he's truly a wide receiver. Then if they never put their hand on the ground, they're never in the backfield or anything like that. So um, how the the semantics of it could USC could call him a tight end, and they could play wide receiver. We'll see.
1: Ryan, any thoughts uh, on that?
2: Um, if you want to put the question sure, up. Sure, uh, yeah. Sorry, I just put it up there. Um, so this is what we're going to have to see. I don't know if Brew McCoy not being there is going to um, change how they run everything and there's two back sets or, you know, multiple tight ends and things. But there are a lot of options, and there are just some big bodies. Um, I think that's one of the things we just have to watch. Through fall camp, and we're probably like a report on all that stuff, kind of formation things, things like that. But Graham Harrell does have a lot of options at his fingertips, and I, I don't know which direction they're going to go. I mean, just you know, like even talk about Drake London where he ends up uh, lining up. I do you see more rotation? Do we see you know we sort of saw these set groups all the time. It was just kind of the same thing over and over again when Shotgun does the the charts and, and showing where everyone's lining up. But there really could be options where you're running out. Four different guys in different, uh, you know, different plays. Um, not just bringing in one guy that you can key on, but they're really just mixing up and and putting, you know, two big tight ends or they're, maybe they're they hand on the ground then they move out to the slot and they're just you know they're standing up. There's these big bodies that you can create mismatches with. So I, I think there's a lot of options. I just don't know which direction they're going to go with it.
3: Mm. I mean, we saw more two-back sets and two tight ends, and that was something they did in the spring because of the limited bodies at wide receiver. I don't think that you're going to be limited down to three or four guys, scholarship guys, in the fall at any point, so I don't expect to see it. Until they actually show it more, they've, they've used them like 3 4 5% of the time they've used a two-back set or a two-tight a two end set. But it's not something they consistently look at as hey, this is something that's part of our base packages that we use. So until they show more of it, I I mean, there were plenty of chances in the past to use two backs. There's plenty of chances to to add two tight ends if they really wanted, and they haven't really
1: done that much. We got a question from Mark on Facebook who says, will Robert Steiner's program reduce the yearly plague of injuries this season?
2: (laughs) Mm -hmm. Hard to say. (laughs) There's not like a direct correlation between that, but, you know, there's, Sometimes you see a rash of hamstrings or you see, some, you know, there's different things that happen. Um, I like from what the players have told us, seems like there's a lot of core stuff. There's a lot of uh, just, you know, body weight things that you're doing that I think could help with some of the the soft uh, tissue injuries that maybe we've seen in the past. That would be my guess, but, you know, wait to see. You can just get a rash of injuries. It's nobody's fault, you know. Um, you but,
3: could, yeah, you could literally just get guys, get their ankles stepped on yeah. the wrong way. You, you know, that happens, unfortunately.
1: Yeah. We had a question from Mike on Facebook who says, Do you think USC has any first-team All-Americans this season?
3: Ooh.
2: I mean, King Slovis could be. Drake London could be. I
3: mean, if Drake London's a Blitnickoff finalist, then I think he's definitely there in the mix. Uh, and at least one of the publications would give him one. So, I'll say yes. And Drake Jackson's another guy. He has an opportunity to take a big step forward I think it was, what, six and a half sacks his freshman year, only two and a half last year in the shortened season. Need to see him bounce back and have a a big season for USC's defense to do what it's capable of.
1: Yeah. Josh on Facebook wanted to know, what are our thoughts on Cortland Ford? He said it seems like he's uh, the best option at left tackle. What do you guys think?
2: Uh, Yeah, I mean, he's he's someone I definitely want to spend a lot of time watching uh, this fall. He'll probably get significant first team reps at left tackle, as I'm, I'm guessing, and uh, you know, I think San Jose State, a month from now, he's probably, my guess is he's probably going to be the starting left tackle, so someone you definitely want to check out.
3: I mean, he's a leader going into it, but there can be big jumps, especially second-year guys. Uh, is he going to take one of those big jumps? And, you know, like we've talked about earlier, with the not having a full, a regular offseason last year, and the pandemic and everything, do we see some of those older guys, those veterans that were moved to a new spot last year, do we see them take a jump forward? The guys that took over those starting roles last year, are they going to be able to take a jump? Uh, if so, maybe that changes what USC is looking at. Maybe Jonah monheim gets in the mix. There's some different options there, but right now, definitely the leader going in.
1: We got a question from Michael on YouTube who says, uh, what are the chances that USC wins the PAC 12 this year?
2: Uh, finished. From the media poll, uh, second would well, be you know behind Oregon, uh, but you know to win the Pac-12 South, um, yeah, I think there's a decent chance. Uh, I think Oregon's probably still going to be the favorite, but you know we could watch this team for the first five or six games and say, oh yeah, they're this is a team that's ready to go, um, or we could see, man, they're just still squeaking by teams they should beat. You know, you know if that's the case. And they're playing like kind of they did the beginning of last year, even though they went undefeated in the regular season. And you know, you don't need, you don't want fourth quarter comebacks against teams like Arizona. So if they're still doing stuff like that, they're probably not going to win the Pac-12. But if they're playing up to their potential, which we haven't seen USC do, yeah, I think they got a, a real good chance to win it. They should win. I th- they should win the Pac-12 this year, but should have won it last year and they didn't.
3: They got a good chance. Huh. They got enough talent, but if the offensive line takes a step forward,
2: yeah
1: we got a question from Walker Lamer who says, do you all see Graham Harrell leaving after this season for a big payday? Uh, it depends on Keaton Slovis.
2: It depends on what you, they do. Like if, if if the USC offense struggles, he's probably not leaving for a big payday. Um, I mean. He and Keaton
3: Slovis are pretty much attached to the hip. So if Slovis has a big season, goes in the NFL drafts, first round pick, then I think that's much, much more likely that you see Graham Harrell you know, look at another opportunity potentially. Because I think his stock would then rise back up to where, you know, people will be like, oh, 2020, you know, forget about that. That was a pandemic. Everything was weird, you know, because his name was really hot coming out of 2019. Mm-hmm. And if USC takes that step forward, you know, that's, I mean, it's still a big question mark, but it could be.
1: We got another question from Walker Lamar who says, uh, will the Coliseum field be well maintained or maintained better than it has been since the Rams can play at SoFi now?
3: Sure, it only helps, you know, not having multiple games and having to, you know, the immediate switchover and everything, just yeah. extra wear and tear. So,
2: yeah, they. I mean, we would see them after USC games, just like going to work on the field, like right away, yeah. like stuff like that. You don't have to do that. You can just kind of maintain. You don't have to repaint everything. I mean, yeah, I think it's going to be better.
1: Dog's life in Portland says, "Do you think there's an arms race to reach the first mega conference, forcing the breakup of the NCAA?"
2: Uh, I don't. I mean, there's already a mega conference. <laughs> and then, uh, it means more. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't think there's like some arms race for that. I mean, there's two huge conferences, the Big Ten and the the SEC. Um, does the ACC make a move? We'll see. I mean, it's conferences are going to make moves to make themselves better, not for any other reason, not to make college football better. So if, if the ACC says, hey, we can like merge with the, the Pac-12 and have this you know, East Coast, West Coast kind of conference thing on lockdown. They might do something like that, or the Big Ten, or whatever. Um, but those conferences are going to do what's best for them, not for college football.
3: Whatever happens with the realignment, can we just get rid of the numbers? Don't need oh, no a yeah. Big Ten that's got twelve teams. We don't need a Big Twelve <laughs> that's now got eight teams. We I don't need that it. motion. I mean, at least the Pac Twelve changed when they were Pac Ten. Like, oh, right, we we'll move up, but the Bigs, you know, change your yeah. name, get something, get something better. Yeah, Come up with something creative. I agree. The Freedom oh,
2: okay.
3: Conference. or something, I don't know. <laughs> Freedom Conference. Uh, Bravery Conference. Okay. What, what were their... The Braveheart the, Conference. The Big
2: Ten got screwed with the leaders and legends thing. That Where's did, the leaders conference? That did not conference? go over well. Like, that was like, <laughs> oh, that's terrible.
1: We got multiple questions about USC's run game. Red Feather said, in all caps, will, SC, will USC be successful without a running game? And then we got a tweet from NW Trojan who said, what exactly do you think USC's offense can do to improve short yardage running?
3: Do different things. Yeah. <laughs> I've run the same play over and over as a hurry up real quick, and the other team knows exactly what's coming, you know, a good majority of the time.
2: Be tougher on the line. Push people around. You know, I think you got to do that. And, yeah, they can be like – Shotgun said this could be a 10-2 team with, like, poor offensive line play.
3: It, with a little bit of improvement, a little bit of creativity. That was something that we just – I'm kind of miffed that we haven't seen more creativity out of this offense at times.
1: Why do you think that is, Shotgun?
3: Arrogance. Graham Harrell saying, my offense will work. Just run the grass and do what we do, and it'll work. Rather than saying, how can I create a better mismatch with Drake London? Let me move him. Now, he's not, as Keaton Slovis called him, the ultimate mismatch because who's going to guard that guy? But also, like, if you see, oh, they got a freshman nickel back in there. Let's put Amon Ross St. Brown on him. Let's move him in motion to get him matched up with that guy and let him go to work and toast that guy. And you create different things, moving the safeties out of the way with other receivers or whatnot. But it, they do that. They'll put a couple plays in for games. But it just I feel like they could do more of it. Um, I feel like Graham just has the ultimate confidence, and maybe that's the arrogance, um, in his offense that it will work. And we've seen it puts up a bunch of yards and stuff. But, and if you convert on third and shorts, then the offense will go. But I think they could also sprinkle a little bit more creativity.
2: Yeah. They need to score more points. Like, they don't score enough points. <laughs> Literally, like, yes, they don't Ryan. score enough
1: Seems like, like a very basic answer, but yes. Score more points. A couple more questions before we wrap this puppy up. We got a question from SoCal SoCalAnt who says, Why can't SC play better Power 5 teams in non-conference games?
2: I don't understand this criticism. Um, you play Notre Dame every year. You got BYU that had a great record last year. You got San Jose State that won the Mountain West. Like, this is a down year. This was a year they had to replace UC Davis. So, Pat Hayden started to get away from some of the cool scheduling because he wanted more home games and stuff. So, I think you have to kind of build that back into it. But that's never been an SC problem. Um, You know, having Notre Dame and, you know, those are all teams that had great records last year. They're all on the schedule. So,
3: he asked a couple different questions about this. How long it advances take to book a big game? We found out this season it doesn't. Right, <laughs> you can do it that week. You know, Coastal Carolina and BYU. But
2: typically they're but scheduled but years yes, in advance. That
3: was normally they are, unique. which can change. Hey, this program looks really good now. USC's playing Ole Miss. Will Ole Miss be good when USC plays them? You know, they were five years ago or whatever. Will they be? In, you know, who knows? Um, so that can be into it. Whose decision are those? That's the athletic director, but also presidents and stuff will have us say sometimes this matchup gets made because someone went to this school. Yeah. Those things happen. I mean,
2: Lane Kiffin goes to Ole Miss and they schedule Ole Miss. Yep. So like, you know.
3: Why book a game with San Jose State? Well, Ryan could tell you, they wanted to get rid of UC Davis and listen to the fans. And But also, San Jose State you know, is a buy game. They're called buy games. So you do this in basketball, you do this in football, you do this in baseball. We're going to buy for you to come out instead of doing a home-and-home, home, instead of us going to your place, we're going to buy out that portion of it. We're going to pay you million for a football game to come to our place, and we're not going to come back to your place. So you play those games, so you get an extra home game. So USC is going to play seven home games this year, so that means extra revenue coming in for all the ticket sales and all that stuff, but also your fans get to see you more, build up that, and also an extra win. You know That's why the SEC teams play Eastern Kentucky in November, yeah. so that you rest your body a little bit and you can go to the, the stretch sidereal, run, all, yeah, so, yeah, all that stuff. So yeah. there's a lot of different reasons to go into it. So, But USC has gone away from trying to schedule that FCS game. They realized the fans didn't want that because they're one of three schools uh, that has not done that. Yeah. So they don't want to be, and it's their two rivals, so they don't want to give yeah. up anything. USC's
2: to lucky that Jose stayed on schedule this year. Like There wasn't a lot of options, so kudos to Mike Bowen for making that happen.
3: Man, that's a good team they're going to face.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Brian wanted to know: uh, Do we expect to see Solomon Tulipu in pads at the start of fall camp? Not touching it.
3: Yeah, <laughs> uh, I'm going to say yes. I'm going to say no because you said at the start of camp, and no one's going to be in pads. Bam.
1: Some Delta. things are important. Uh, Coley White says most important must-win game for USC this regular season.
2: San Jose State start Utah. Yeah, Utah's a big one. It's at home. Like if you're talking about trying to win the South, um,
3: could be six and zero. Uh, and then going with the bye week going into Notre Dame, so
2: yeah.
1: Um, in line with the Coley question, I'm gonna say Notre Dame. So if you win Notre Dame, that probably means that you're winning everything before the schedule. And Clay Hilton hasn't been over the win in South Bend hump yet, so we shall see. So I guess that's gonna be uh, my answer. righty, guys. Any final thoughts before we wrap up this show? Fall camp on Friday. Off-season is coming to an end. I'm excited to see some hitting, some football. It's going to be exciting. Any final thoughts before we wrap this one
2: up? Yeah, no more off-season. Let's get into the fall camp. Um, we might have to start doing the shows back on Sunday again, Keeley. What do you think? Because... I don't think they're practicing on Sundays. Like I think they're practicing next Wednesday, so it would be hard for us to do a show then.
1: Yes, that also means seven day work weeks for us, which we're used to. But yes, we can we can discuss.
2: Well, we'll have to discuss that. So stay tuned. We're gonna have to move the schedule around because now we got practices um, scheduled throughout the week. So we're gonna have to find days for the shows when there's no uh, practice. But yes, um, stay tuned for that. We're very excited to be to be back here. Should be fun. Broadcasting live, talking about USC Jordan football.
1: Yep. Shade. Closes out.
3: Should be fun. Let's see what, what happens. <laughs> New a lot of a lot of question marks, a lot of things. They're curious to see where people are going to be, what they try to do to address some of the issues that they do have. I thought they've done a good job through the offseason. Now it's time for the season. Can you continue what you started in the spring? Started with the transfer portal, all those type of things. Can you build on it?
2: Or are we going to see a boop boop Plateau. Yeah. Winning the offseason is one thing. Winning in a season is something else. Is
1: that yep. the official noise of a plateau, Shaka? Boop, boop. <laughs> nice. A 1960s kid said, Will there be instant analysis on Friday? 1960s kid. Come on. Would it be fall camp without instant analysis? Yes. So be sure to look out uscfootball.com. We'll have full coverage of Fall Camp and the first day. So stay tuned for that. Uh, but that's gonna wrap it up for Tunnel Vision. That's Shaka, and that's Ryan. I'm Keely. We'll see y'all next time. Bye. Bye.